But it's great to be home. I love, uh, uh, I love you, and I'm just so delighted to be back. So anyway, uh, so one of the things people ask me about Alaska is they ask me, well, there was a big earthquake. Maybe you heard there was an 8.2 earthquake in Alaska, and they asked me, were you a part of the earthquake? I said, no, I wasn't there. And so, but there was another earthquake that I heard about that was intense, and, uh, and this particular earthquake was almost an 8.0, and it was known as, maybe you've heard of it, the mega tsunami, the biggest wave ever in the history of recorded earthquakes, where up to 1,700 feet, trees were knocked down by the mega tsunami. It was like 1958. But anyway, I want to just mention that because the book of Romans is like the spiritual equivalent of a mega tsunami. In terms of its impact, it is incredible. It has been changing lives throughout all of history here. So I'm so excited to open the scriptures with you. Romans, if you're new, what we do is we read through the Bible, we explain the Bible, then we apply the Bible. That's called exposition. That's how we roll. So for the rest of the year, we will be in the book of Romans. It is amazing. It is the most, some people have said it is the most important human document ever written. It is known as the masterpiece of the New Testament. It is known as a book that holds the profound treasures of Scripture, proclaims the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we're in for a tremendous morning. I'm so glad that you're here. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the Scripture together. We'll be reading from the New Living Translations. There are a number of good ones. That is one good one. So uh, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and we're going to read Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 7. I'm going to read the odd verses, and you will read the even verses 2, 4, and 6. So what we want to do is we, you're a Christ follower, the people of God, want to fill the tent or the house of God with the Word of God and have the experience of hearing that together. So read loud when it's your turn. So Romans chapter 1, verse 1 says this. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And I'm writing to tell all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. You may be seated. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, and Father, today we want to lift up to you um, what is happening in Afghanistan with the Taliban taking over the nation. We pray for your divine supernatural protection for our troops and for uh, Americans trying to get out. Father, we pray that uh, uh, though uh, where things are pretty messed up for that situation, we pray, God, that you would make a way, that you would be, as the song we sing, the way maker, that you would make a way to be a miracle worker, and Father, that you would help them. So we stand uh, uh, in the gap on their behalf, praying for you and pleading for you to protect them, watch over them, and bring them home safely. And Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would give us understanding by your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that we be built up in you, built up in faith, built up in the word, 
and that you would inspire us, encourage us, and leave us better off than when we came. In Jesus' name, amen. And everyone said, amen. So introduction to the book of Romans. This was written to a church kind of like us here, kind of like normal people, but many of them were slaves. There was like six million slaves there in the Roman Empire. Paul was not a Roman. He was a Jew, but he had a a Roman citizen there. And so Paul then is going to write this letter to Rome, this church in Rome, and he's in a prison. You need to see him in a prison there in Corinth, which is now modern Greece there. And these people that were Christ followers and had faith in the Lord, but they really didn't have a whole lot of understanding of things like, well, well, how does church work? And what does it mean to be a part of a church? And what does it mean to be a Christ follower? And how does God forgive sin? And why does God forgive sin? And how do you walk with Christ? And uh, what does it mean to have salvation? And what does it mean to be adopted in the family of God? And uh, what does it mean to, to have sanctification? And what does sovereignty mean? And sacrifice and service and all that. And so Paul then... They're in prison, had never been to Rome, had never been to Rome. And so he leans back there and he begins to write and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to cover the doctrines, which are the beliefs then, or the teachings. Uh, Doctrine, in other words, is what does the whole Bible teach us uh, about any given topic, according to Dr. Wayne Gruden. And so he's teaching them doctrine then about the Bible and, uh, and giving Christ followers there in Rome an understanding of the Bible there. Now, you need to recognize this, that today we come, and you can have a hard copy, you have a digital copy. Uh, we have our Bibles, and they're always accessible, only a click away on your smartphone or uh, in your house or wherever. They didn't have that. All they had was the Old Testament uh, scriptures, but they didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have... Uh, any Bibles like we have Bibles. And so uh, they didn't have like the teachings of Jesus to tell the stories of Jesus, to get the gospel accounts. They didn't have the epistles or revelation. So there's Paul knowing there's this church in Rome trying to figure it out. He's in prison in Corinth there. And he says this, I'm going to go ahead and write a church to the letter and uh, write to the church in Rome. And I'm going to tell them all the stuff that they need to know about their faith and following Jesus. So what is Romans then? Romans is a comprehensive, what's called systematic or systemized, like theology, which is study of God, a comprehensive approach to all of that. So the first 11 chapters all about doctrine, and it's deep and sometimes hard to understand, but we'll unpack it so it makes sense there. It is doctrine then, and then verses 12 through 16, you apply all the things you just learned. And so there's the, the, the practical application of atonement, justification by faith, salvation, uh, all of that. So he's going to talk about what we believe for 12, uh, 11 chapters, I mean, and then everything that, uh, that comprises Christianity is taught by Paul and explained in the book of Romans. So it is an absolutely amazing book. Many people consider it the greatest book in all of Scripture, which is the greatest book that's ever been written. So it is the greatest of all the great. And so it is amazing. So Paul now is writing. In the opening line, I want you to see this because he wants us and his 
readers to know a little bit about himself here. So he uses these descriptive phrases in chapter one and gives us a picture of what a person is like that God can use. So let's look at uh, Romans chapter one, verse one says this. This is a letter from Paul. Well, what kind of guy was Paul? Well, Paul was a religious terrorist. Paul was the Osama bin Laden of his day. You're kidding with me. No, I'm dead serious. He was Osama bin Laden of his day. Before he was on Team Jesus, what he did was he would hate Christ followers. He would beat you up. He opposed you. He would murder you. Uh, He wanted to extinguish you, to crush you, to overrun you and eliminate you. That was his agenda. And so you read in the book of Acts, there in Acts chapter 7, there's Stephen, and he's gonna, he was an awesome, godly guy, going to be stoned to death. And we read the words of Paul. And what is Paul doing? Paul is dragging men, women, children, ravaging the church. And if you follow Jesus, he would beat you. He would imprison you. He would murder you. And this is a man, you got to see it, that does not want to be stopped. And so then Jesus gets involved. Maybe you know the story, little Damascus Road experience there. But Jesus gets involved, and he takes care of Paul himself. And he blinds Paul, knocks him off his donkey there, and his life is changed in an instant. So what happens there is everything changes when Jesus showed up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe that was your story. Everything can change when Jesus showed up. And so... Now he goes from being the arch enemy of the church to the author of the New Testament books, two-thirds of them. Now he goes from persecuting the church to preaching to the church and pastoring the church. Now he goes from terrorists to uh, uh, warring against Jesus and Christ followers to worshiping Jesus. And so an amazing turnaround of his life. So Jesus uses, all that to say this, Jesus uses the most unlikely candidate than to be the author uh, and developer of the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? Like the most unlikely. And I don't know about you, but when I realize that Jesus uses the least likely candidate there uh, possible to do the very best things, that encourages me. And that makes me realize that, well, there's hope for me. There's, There's hope for Ron Collins. There's hope for you that maybe uh, uh, we could recognize that, that God, if there's hope for Paul, there's hope for us. And so if Jesus can use a religious terrorist there and transform him to the uh, central figure of the New Testament church, he can use us. There's hope for us. Amen, anyone out there? Yeah. So the first thing Paul wants us to know is this. He says, I am a servant And he wants you to know that he is a servant. Now, of all the things that he could have said, and all his illustrious religious pedigree, he says, the thing you need to know about me is I'm a servant. And so this is his identity, and this is what I want you to see, because I think many people miss this. So he's saying, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. That is my identity. That is who I am. That is not just what I do, and I'm going to live out my identity as his servant. So I will do whatever he wants me to do. I will go wherever he wants me to go. I will say whatever he wants me to say. I will fulfill his will. I am his servant. And so as his servant, Paul then 
lives out his life, has this Godward identity with, with God, with through Christ, okay? And then he lives that out outwardly. And I think if we could just understand that, that uh, if we could grasp a fraction of the truth that Paul got a hold of, it would change our lives. That if being a Christ follower is not something, I go to church on Sunday and I give some money and I do the group. No, but you are his servant. Your life is not your own. Your life has been purchased with a price. And the best thing for me to do is to serve. My best life is as a servant. And so, but here's a challenge. Here's a challenge that we face. So let me say there is a spectrum here and the spectrum will be over here are the, are the selfish, self-consumed, narcissistic, uh, come out of the womb you. And over here then is the servant crowd. So we're all born over there. We're all born, it's all about me all the time. But the thing that stands between you and being a servant is you. It is you. And this is the very thing I'm talking about is, am I going to choose to live there or am I going to be a servant? And so Paul made the decision to be a servant. And so I want to suggest to you that if we would do this, and we all start off selfish, but if we'll go on that continuum to being unselfish and being a servant, here's what, here's what will, will happen. Being a servant will give you the most healthy relationships. In other words, it, have you ever seen a healthy relationship where someone is self-consumed? You, you just won't. Uh, so you'll have a better marriage. You'll have better friendships. You'll better relationships. We'll have a better church, and it'll be a better world if we would move on the continuum to being servants. For example, look at relationships. Look at the marriage where you have two selfish people. Anybody? I'm not going to push too hard, but you know what I'm talking about. So you got two people that they're selfish. What does that marriage look like when you no one is serving one another? Is it brutal? Is it ugly? Is it contentious? Yeah, it is. Now consider where you have one servant, I'm sorry, one selfish person and one servant. Well, now you're going to have a better relationship, but you're still going to have maybe some measures of a little dysfunction, maybe some measures of a, maybe even a little abuse going on there. And now think about this. Now think about when you have two people serving one another. Now you've got a great marriage. Now you've got a great relationship. Now you've got a great friendship uh, that happens there. And so, But here's the other problem, is that culture is going to tell you this, uh, that it needs to be all about you all the time. Says you got to live there, like you know. Hey, where was the like? Where was the, where was the valet parking at the ranch here? You know, there is no parking. We're trying to teach you to be servants here. So, you know, there's so. But if you live there, if you live there, then uh, uh, culture uh, actually never encourages you to go down the continuum in that direction. They never talk about that, and so it's got to be about you all the time. So now Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, what does he show us? He shows us that God actually extols the virtue of servanthood. And he says that I didn't come to serve others, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Like, this is it right here. Your best life is found right here, not over there. But the culture keeps telling you to go that way, and God tells you to go that way. So Jesus then shows up as servant king, and he comes to serve us.
To be a servant uh, uh, is really to take on the same posture as Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who went from a place he could be no higher to a place that he could be no lower there. And so the disciples come up to him one day there in Matthew. And so Matthew chapter 20, and they, they're posturing and they say to him, hey, Jesus, like who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And you would think that it's really an easy answer, right? I mean, how complicated is that? You got the bumblehead, fumbling, uh, motley crew of the disciples. And then you got the son of God. I mean, how complicated you know, I'm going, with, I'm going with the Son of God. And so I'm going with the guy that walks on water. Are you? I'm going with the guy that feeds the 5,000. I'm going with the guy that heals the sick. I'm going with the guy that raises the dead. But they say, hey, Jesus, like, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And so we know who that is, but they're still trying to sort it out. So rather than rebuke them, what Jesus does then is he redirects them. How gracious is that? And he uses himself as an example, and he said, hey, like the implication is, I'm the greatest, and I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, came to the earth to serve us. I mean, think about it. He went to the cross. He suffered. Uh, He rose from the dead. He conquered sin, held death. Uh, and Hades, and, uh, and so to serve us. And even now, while he's alive, he's still serving us. And so how is he serving us? By answering our prayers, by restoring our brokenness, by lifting our burdens, by dispensing his blessings, giving us his Holy Spirit. He is still there serving us. And so, and Jesus says that if you want to be great, friends, you got to be a servant of all. You got to make a decision like Paul made. Again, it begins with us, God word, identity, I am his servant, and then we live that out in the reality of culture. And so what has God called you to do then with this? So secondly, I want you to see this. It says that you are chosen by God, chosen by God. So secondly, you want to say, I'm not only a servant, but I'm chosen to do this. It literally means to be, to be invited or to be welcomed or to be called there. So Paul's saying, look, this whole, this whole deal, apostle deal, I, I didn't think of that. It's not my idea. I was chosen to do this. I was called to do this. And so he says, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. And so he wants the audience to know, I didn't pick this job. This was picked for me. I was sovereignly chosen. It was a divine choice. And then he says, Paul as an apostle. What's an apostle? Apostle is one who is sent. So he realizes, I'm an apostle, and I live in kind of this zone of being an apostle that that's what my life needs to be about. It is a divinely initiated calling. Wow, apostle Paul. You know what, friends, if you're a Christ follower, you also have a divinely initiated calling, and I want to lean on and kind of press this point a little bit because I think some of us, we just sort of get going and get on the treadmill of the Christian life and go to church. And we forget that I have a divine initiated call, that God has called me. There is a zone of my life. There is, a, there is a, 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 a Godward identity that needs to be lived out here. It was God's idea. It's not my idea. 
And I need to tap into that in whatever season of life that you're in there. So every Christ follower has a calling that starts with God. And he calls you to know himself, to, to, to be his intimate, uh, and then to live that out. So he says, I am called to be an apostle. It's not like he woke up one day and said, you know, I can't figure it out. I think I'm going to take a vocational aptitude test. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a career track of being uh, AB. I'll do apostle. That never happened. He recognized that, look, I'm divinely called. So my question to you is this. Like, what are you divinely called to do? Like, like what is your, if you're a Christ follower, what is your calling? What is it that God is asking of you? Because you can get caught up. I mean, uh, you can be well-meaning. You can be sincere. And you just get caught up doing life and miss the very purpose for which you've been given breath. So an apostle was someone who had seen the Messiah. And so someone that was appointed by him to plant the flag of faith in every community God would show him to do. So that's what he did. Went to Ephesus, plants the flag of faith. Goes to Corinth, same thing. Romans, same thing. Galatia, same thing. Keeps Thessalonica, Thessalonica, same thing. Planting flags of faith, starting church, just doing what God is telling him to do. What is God telling you to do? So to be an apostle is a sent one, a commissioned one, a dispatched one, a messenger, an ambassador of the good news. Now, the, the next thing I want to point out here about Paul is I was called to preach the good news. So if you're a Christ follower, I also want you to understand this, that you are to tell your story, you are to, in a sense, to also share the good news in your relational circle, in your sphere of influence, where God gives you opportunity. And so Paul then says, I'm called to declare the good news. Now, friends, would you agree with me that we live in a, a, a world of kind of bad news? Anybody? Like, like COVID-19, you know, that, that wasn't good news. Uh, would you agree? Uh, then that flips to Delta variant. I know there's going to be an alpha, beta, gamma, and there'll be more and more. But the pandemic was bad news. Afghanistan, bad news. Taliban takeover, bad news. Gas prices going up. Bad news. Come on, somebody. I mean, there's some bad news out there. And so is there really any good news? Is there, there is good news, friends. And so good news about God in Christ. Good news about sin, that it can be forgiven. Good news about selfishness, that uh, you don't have to live that way. Good news about guilt. Good news about your past. Good news about anxiety. That all can be alleviated and changed. Good news that you can find meaning in life. So many people have a meaningless life. You can find a good meaning that will just uh, cause a buzz in your heart of hearts. It will never go away. Good news that there's a future for you, a positive future. You, good news, friends, does anybody live in fear? Anybody know anybody that fear is encroaching upon your life? Yeah, and so you don't need to live with that fear. How about good news for people that are feeling hopeless? Anybody kind of had measures of hopelessness? The Bible says he is for all time our living hope. So the gospel changes everything. So what is good news? Is it us finding God and search? No, it is God's search, God's pursuing you. It's good news of salvation, good news of Jesus Christ. It's good news that sin, no matter what your past, no matter how dark, can be forgiven. 
Good news that guilt can be lifted, can be erased, can be washed away. Good news that uh, life can have meaning. So Paul then gives us his view of the gospel. Look at verse 2 on the screens there in your, script, in your Bibles. God promised this good news. Like when? Long ago through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. So the origin of the good news is Almighty God. The origin of the good news is actually from heaven. The origin of the good news here uh, is that it is about Jesus Christ. And so where did it come? Do we know about it? It's a bunch of dumb stories or what? No, this was promised beforehand by the holy prophets. So the prophets in the Old Testament, they told of Jesus Christ that he would be coming. And so you see in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, just a couple illustrations there. It says, the Lord himself will give you a sign and the virgin will be with child. We all know about that every Christmas. I will give birth to a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What kind of us? Not a very good us, but God will be with us. Then you read there in Isaiah 53 that describes that God would send his son. Remember what we're talking about, the holy prophets declaring that Christ was coming. So that he is despised and rejected of man, a man uh, that uh, acquainted with sorrows. And so it talks about the Messiah there, that he would be a lamb going before the slaughter. And so we see it's promised through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So it's been confirmed that way. Not a bunch of empty stories, but it has the gravitas of historical evidence that he would be coming. And now as we look at verse 3, we're going to find this. The gospel is bound up in a person, the good news, verse 3. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into David's family line. In other words, Jesus came through the lineage, through the DNA, uh, through the bloodline of King David. That's all that that means. So the gospel, friends, it's all about Jesus Christ. The gospel is centered in Christ. Jesus encompasses the totality of the gospel, because he is the gospel. He envelops the gospel. He is the one and only gospel. Without him, there is no gospel. So the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, he died on a cross and was resurrected from the dead. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is him who was and is and is to be, the Almighty One. That is the gospel, friends, Jesus Christ. Right on. And by the way, we are meeting in the tent. We are not meeting in a library. We are not uh, at a, a funeral. So you can be free to clap, cheer, shout, uh, just don't tackle anybody, okay? So, verse 4. And he was shown, that's who Jesus, or declared, some of your translations read, to be the Son uh, of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ. Christ is anointed one. Lord is Messiah, resurrected. So, friends, I have really good news for you this morning. In the midst of all the bad news out there, I have good news that Jesus Christ is not dead. 
He is resurrected right there. It says he is resurrected and he is alive. And that changes everything. That changes everything for everyone for all time because he's alive. What do you mean he's alive? Yeah, he, like he's changing lives. He's forgiving sin. He's changing destinies, changing the trajectory of people's lives. He's filling them uh, with purpose and meaning. So Jesus Christ is alive. And so we continue here uh, in verse 5, which says this. Through Christ, God has given us privilege and authority as apostles to tell people or Gentiles everywhere, what are we going to tell them? Here's the privilege you've been given. I'm reminding you what God has done for them. That's the privilege that we have as long as we have breath. We can tell people what God has done for them. You don't have to like be like some public speaker or preacher. Just tell your story. Tell them what God has done for you. Why? So that they'll believe and obey. Bring glory to his name. Notice it says they'll believe and obey. In other words, if you believe in Jesus Christ, believe in the resurrection, believe in what he's done for you, that can so impact your life that then you will obey. You obey because you believe. Now, is that how we normally obey? Think about that. Is that how we normally obey? Or do we obey because of the rules? Come on, somebody out there. Do we obey because of the rules? For example, uh, like I was driving on the freeway yesterday, wasn't going too fast, but as soon as I saw that black and white police car, I'm looking like, how fast am I? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, somebody. Okay, why? Well, I'm obeying, why? Because the rule of 65 miles an hour, I, I'm telling you, I don't like naturally want to obey things. I like to try to figure out if there's a way, or, this is how I'm wired up. If I could figure out a way around it, I would. It's not a good thing, but it's how sometimes I roll. So anyway, but I'm not naturally obedient that way. And so, nor are, are you. And so we don't necessarily like, we, we obey a lot of times because we don't have any choice. I don't want to get pulled over, so all right, I'll, I'll just drive the speed limit or a little over it. And we're obeying because of the rules only. And then you think about other people, and you obey because you're fearful if you break the rules. Some of you type, you're very much wired up that way. Or maybe you're intimidated to break the rules. Or maybe that's somebody that you work for or know that you're just intimidated, so you don't want to break the rules. So for all the wrong reasons, we obey. Because we're fearful, because we are intimidated, because we know we're going to get in trouble, So because uh, the rules. But this says, no, you obey because you believe. Whole different paradigm shift there. You're obeying God because you believe in him. Very powerful. Obedience by faith is what? It's faith in Jesus Christ, faith in what he has done for you. I'm putting my faith in him, and I'm going to go for him. I'm going to follow what he says and does do what he says. Verse 6. And you are included among these Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Check this out. You've been called to belong. I want to remind all of you here that you've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, when this says called to belong, it means literally means you are invited into a friendship in the original language. You are invited into this warm, close, intimate friendship. It's not you're invited into this dictatorial, verticalized, you know, you do what I tell you to do because I'm your God. No, no, it's not like that at all. It's like you're invited to belong. Where God woos you, where God romances you, where God calls you to, 
irresistibly to himself. And so here it says, uh, called to belong to Jesus Christ, born uh, to peasant, teenage parents, swung a hammer as a blue-collar carpenter with his adopted dad, did this for uh, a, a long time, then he finally graduates to his ministry that included preaching, healing sick people, casting out demons, doing the supernatural, healing brokenness. And then after three years, what does he do then? But he dies in your place for your sin. Uh, he was crucified and he comes back to life. That's the Jesus Christ he's talking about right on. And he says this, thank you for the one hoot. Then he says in verse 7, and I'm writing to all of you all. I'm writing to all of you. Verse says, all of you are included. If I could like point to every single one of you and say, you're included, and you're included, and you're included, you're included, all of you are included in this. He says, now I'm writing to you in Rome that you're what? You're loved by God and called, watch, to be his own. I'm reminding you of that. And may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So here, friends, is where it gets really personal. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean in on you a little bit here. You've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Let's make this personal because it is. This is personal. You've got to make a decide. And some people, I think, have to make another decision after they've made the decision because we're well-meaning, we're sincere. Uh, here we are in church, but we get distracted but we get diverged in different directions. And so he's saying here, you are called to belong. Uh, what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing. How you respond to this is the most important thing here. And so he's inviting us again to this warm, loving friendship is what you're being called to belong to. Friend, who, who wouldn't want to do that? Like with the creator of the, of the world, the cosmos, inviting you unto himself. So God wants the best for you, but the best for you is when you belong. Inviting you into a relationship with Jesus. He is essentially saying this, I want you to belong to me. I want you to believe in me. So, and remember the author, Paul, he's Mr. Religious. We're not being invited to religion. We're not being invited to just kind of church going and going through the motions of devotion. No, the Apostle Paul there uh, was a religious professional. He said, but concerning the law, I was blameless. I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. In other words, I was as high as you can go in the religious world there. And he says, that didn't work for me. Religion was actually the problem. Religion made me an awful person. I persecuted the church. This belonging now is not being belonging to religion, but to a relationship with God. He's inviting you. He's inviting all of us. If you're new to church, he's inviting you to forgiveness of sin. He's inviting you to eternal life. He's inviting you to know the love of God. Friends, I don't know about you, but, but, but there seems to be a great lack of love in the world today because people are so disconnected from the very source of love. Would you agree with me? Would you agree with me that how many people have really loved you? Loved you with no agenda. Loved you for no other reason than just you. 
Uh, how many people have pursued you because of what they can get from you? Took me a long time to figure this out. I used to just think people want to be my friend because I'm a nice guy and they just want to be my friend. Then I realized, well, there's people also that want something from you. And that's just a reality. And so not everybody that pursues you loves you. Not everybody that wants relationship wants relationship for the right reasons. And so this now is a God who is pursuing you for all the right reasons, to lift your burdens, to give you his blessing. And some of you, uh, you, you have to realize this, that here is a God who is pursuing you for no other reason than the purity of his love, that he loves you. So he's inviting you then to experience his grace and his peace. How many people uh, out there feel like there's a little bit lack of grace in the world right now? Anybody know what I'm talking about? A little bit lack of grace. Would you agree with me there's a lack of grace? Okay, so would you agree with me? It's a graceless world. Would anybody agree with me on that? Yeah. Like uh, how we say it is this. We say cancel culture. Okay, that's a gracious world, friends. That's what we live in. And so it's a critic culture. It's a crazy culture. It's a graceless world. And you're called to belong to a God that wants to give you grace. Not only does he want to give you grace, but then he, he gives you enough that then you can dispense it in your relationships there. Because the only way that you can have healthy relationships is you be a grace dispenser. Like you're a grace receiver, you've got to dispense grace and so and forgiveness. If you don't do that, your relationships, they're going to just be in trouble all of your life. And so Jesus then, remember, we're called to belong. To belong to what? A God who wants to lift your burdens and your sin. A God who wants to forgive you of your sins. Called to belong to one that, that gives you the Holy Spirit. Comes alongside you and helps you live this life. He's called to, uh, uh, to belong to so you can be right with God. How awesome is that? Called to eternal life. He gives you hope. Uh, we live in a world that has gone nuts, that is hopeless out there, a world that lacks hope for people's future. And uh, God wants to give you, again, hope. He has for all times our living hope. So we live in a world that lacks grace. We live in a world that lacks peace. We live in a world that lacks love uh, because we live in a world that lacks Jesus. And so now Jesus is calling you to belong to him. How many people want to say yes to belonging, huh? And so, so what I'm asking you to do now, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you if you've never made an initial decision to belong, I'm asking you to, to consider doing that. But I'm also asking you that you know, you know kind of the game, like you know church. I'm asking you to reconsider and look at your own life if you need to take another step to all that we've talked about belonging to him, knowing that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that his grace is for you, that his forgiveness that he gives you, that he is your savior. And this is a call now that he not just be my savior, but the leader, not, and the Lord, and the leader of my life. And so I'm going to ask you to, to pray with me. Uh, I'm going to invite you to um, just a newness of relationship with him or relationship for the first time. And, uh, 
And here's the benefit to you. Here's the benefit to you. If you will pray this prayer and say yes every time, say yes to Jesus, uh, you're saying yes to the best thing that you could ever do to be his. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. And uh, so God is inviting you, all of us, being invited or re-invited to join his family, be called his beloved, uh, to live the life like Paul that has been chosen for me, that I've been called for. Not to live in subtle ways, because we do it in subtle ways, to live my way, but it looks, the veneer is, that it is his way, but the reality is it's my way. Uh, To turn from even like shades of rebellion and turn to relationship with him. And so let me just remind you, friends, that God is a God who is patiently and relentlessly pursuing us that we would belong to him. So um, let's pray. So Father, thank you that all of life culminates in sacred moments where we make the most important decisions or make them again. And my question to you is, are you ready to receive that you can belong to him? Knowing that God is so ever patient with us, knowing that he's been waiting for us, for us to change our hearts and minds, that he might change us at the deepest uh, fundamental place of our being. That we not just can be a better us, but a new us. So some of you, you really need to, to pray this prayer. God is patient, has been pursuing you. And so if you would pray this prayer, knowing that God the Father sent his only son Jesus into human history, lived a perfect life and died for you, took your place and suffered and died and God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for the ungodly and so if you would please pray this prayer dear Jesus um, I believe in you and I believe you died for my sins and I believe that you rose for me And I believe that you are my Savior. And I want to begin or reinitiate a closer relationship with you. And I invite you to be the Lord and leader of my life. I thank you that you hear my prayers. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, welcome to the family of God. Those of you that prayed it for the first time. So those of you that prayed that the first time, we're going to have a baptism at Lake Mears you heard about. So please be a part of that. So we close our time together by blessing you. We don't want church to be a sit and sing event where then you just go, but, but we really want to bless you, to evoke God's blessing over your life. And so we're going to close that way by uh, praying a blessing over you. And then what we're going to do is we're going to sing a blessing over you. So if you are able to stand, if not, if you're sitting in your chairs, but just to put yourself in a position to receive God's blessing. Maybe you want to put your hands out or close your eyes or whatever you want to do. Just put your heart in a posture to receive God's blessing. And let's pray. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. And may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and your children's children and their children. And may his presence go before you and be with you and behind you and beside you and all around you and within you because he is with you and he is for you. In Jesus' name, amen.